Hello everyone, and welcome to 35mm Perspective, a podcast where we watch movies and tell you what we thought about them. I am your host, Jacob Coots, and today I am joined by my co-host, Grant Vavra. Grant, how are you doing today? I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty well, Jacob. I'm excited to be putting together the show, finally. There were a little, couple hiccups in us being able to record, but we're here now. And we're going to get it all done. Uh, today we actually have a show in only two parts. We're going to have our trailer section and then we're going to move right into our feature presentation. This is a little bit of a shake-up from previous episodes. Now, everybody doesn't have to be concerned. Industry talk isn't going away. It's actually getting its own set of episodes. And there won't be any this week or next week. But in the weeks to follow in September, there's going to be secondary episodes every week where it's just an industry talk segment. There's not going to be any review. There's not going to be any trailers. It's so that we can have a little bit more time to talk about all of those, uh, you know, different things. Uh, and we've got a lot planned that are going to be coming out. But we wanted to give ourselves some more time to talk about all these concepts a little bit more in depth while also shortening the uh, length of the main episode so that we could give more time to the actual review. Wow, Grant, that sounds like a great idea. When can I watch that podcast? That podcast will probably be premiering in two weeks in September. On what day? On Wednesdays, and it will be here on the same podcast. You don't have to subscribe to anything new. We're just going to title them a little bit differently to make it very clear that those are the industry talk days. It'll be very straightforward. If you're not interested in industry talk, you don't have to listen to it. And if you aren't into industry talk anyway, great. You don't have to listen to those, and now they're going to be removed from your main podcast, and you can come here for what you really want. If you love the industry talk, but you kind of hated the reviews and trailers, there you go. You've got only what you want. If you liked all of it, cool. You get two episodes a week. Now you get a little bit more content a week. So hopefully it'll make everyone a little bit happier. It'll ease the editing load a little bit, and it's it's going to, I think, be an all-around better situation. If anybody has any thoughts, again, please feel free to get at us on Twitter or email us, which again, we'll have all of those tags at the end of the show where you can know how to get in contact with us. But with that, we got a lot to talk about today, even though it's a shorter episode. So Jacob, let's just go ahead and roll right on into the trailers. So normally we try and make our trailers fit with whatever movie we're watching. And we do have one, but the other one isn't that. And we're breaking that format just because it's Star Wars. And obviously we have to talk about Star Wars and it's fairly breaking. They had the new trailer from uh, that just premiered this weekend. So of course we're going to talk about it. So there's a lot to break down and I could go for like the entire podcast doing that <laughs> and maybe we can do something separate of this or industry talk later if anybody wants us to but let's just get through it a little bit quickly it's it's interesting because we hear luke saying a thousand generations live in you now but it's not really clear and and he also says we've passed on all that we know and that's interesting because it speaks on a meta level both to the viewer and to apparently ray but maybe not Ray, as we see kind of at the end of the trailer. So who is he talking to? Is it obviously a little bit to the audience? Is it also to Ray? Is it maybe to Kylo? Is it to Finn, Poe? Who knows? Or is it all of them together somehow? Because the reason it could be all of them together is because it seems like based on what they announced at this panel that they had, Ray and Kylo have to put aside their differences to fight a new 
evil and is that evil going to be Darth Sidious, Emperor Palpatine, maybe, because we got his laugh in the first trailer, and then he has another voice over here where he's saying, your journey is almost complete, which again speaks on a metal level to the viewer, since this is the last in the Skywalker saga, is what we've been told. But additionally, that references in Return of the Jedi when he says something to Luke about, if you kill me, then your journey will be complete, which again speaks to a whole Sith thing of you can become a Sith master only when you kill your master, you stay an apprentice forever, or a Sith Lord rather, and that whole kind of thing, again, getting into deep lore, and we'll kind of ignore that for for the time (laughs) being, and like I said, there's a lot to really get into here. We got a little bit more with this trailer, we saw Leia on a forest planet that looks like Endor, we saw Rey on that same planet, we saw Rey, Poe, Finn, a whole gang of people together on some sort of desert planet, maybe the same desert planet from the last Last Jedi trailer that we got. Maybe it's Tatooine, maybe it's Jakku, we're not really clear. Star Wars seems to love its desert planet, so <laughs> who knows, it might be a completely new one. And they come to what seems to be like a rebel camp or something. We see both the uh, rebel forces, the rebel fleet, I should say, and the first seemingly First Order fleet with just dozens on dozens of Star Destroyers in what appears to be some either cosmic storm or maybe it's force generated which is again there's a lot of very interesting theories going around but of course the most interesting part of this trailer is the last i don't know what's it like four seconds where we see ray wielding a double-bladed red lightsaber that kind of has a hinge that flips out so that it goes to either end like uh like darth maul's but for a second it's like a single double-bladed lightsaber which is really cool and i mean there's a lot of questions there is Did that belong to somebody else? Did she steal artificial kyber crystals to make a lightsaber? There's also some theories about like maybe there's a clone of Rey. There's some theories that maybe she's a clone of Palpatine. Maybe this is uh, another force tree vision like when Luke sees himself putting on the Darth Vader mask. There's a lot of questions that still need to be answered. And I... This trailer does a really interesting job because a lot of complaints that people tend to have about trailers is that they give everything away. And I think Star Wars and this saga in particular are really lucky because they haven't given us much to work with anyway. And now they're just adding more fuel to the fire. So it's a really good trailer because it keeps bringing up these questions. And additionally, the beginning of the trailer is showing the entire Skywalker saga, which was interesting in the way that they did it because they went through the original trilogy before hitting 1, 2, and 3, which admittedly they only hit briefly. So it was interesting that they were speaking more to the viewer than speaking to the story itself because they were showing it in release order versus in chronological order. Just an interesting choice on their part, and I felt like uh, the comment needed to be made. But either way, it, it was a really good trailer, both from what they've showed us new from the film and also reminding everybody that this has been literally decades in the making. Like I said, it's the end of the end of the Skywalker saga, and so it's what everything has been building to. It is, and there are a number of smart plays by the marketing team. Like you said, they didn't give away much in the trailer, and they created all these different types of questions, and... Star Wars fans love theories. Every fan base loves theories. So they're going to keep this excitement bubbling and building. This came shortly after they released that new poster for the movie. Uh, and, and that had a whole bunch of excitement with that too. It seems very much in the vein of the marketing Disney took for Endgame with this conclusion to the story. A story that's not going to be done forever. 
Star Wars will still exist and the Marvel Cinematic Universe still existed, but this end of a story that many people have loved for a lot of years and they're releasing it at the end of a year where there's going to be a lot of people excited to go watch it so they could be setting this up to maybe compete for that box office record using a similar strategy that they had taken for Endgame just with a different franchise that's loved by millions as well so I'm going to be very uh, interested to see how this marketing continues yeah, I was I was actually going to bring that up. I was going to say, what do you think the over under is that this actually becomes the uh, biggest box office of all time? I mean, like, I don't maybe it won't be biggest box office, but it's definitely got to have a shot for biggest opening weekend, right? Like, I'm sure they're going to do the same end game thing where they open it in more theaters and, and everything to make it as huge of an opening as possible. Yeah, and something that the initial part of this trilogy, The Force Awakens hold is holds is that domestic record. So I definitely think it has a very strong chance of beating that and they're probably going to make some international marketing plays to try and expand that as well yeah absolutely i mean i'm really excited i know you're really excited people can keep up with us on social i don't want to get like i said i could go down a rabbit hole and we would spend the whole hour just talking about the (laughs) star wars trailer and theories and and but we've got other movies to talk about so if anybody wants to look into some of that again check our plugs at the end to follow us on social in a very in a variety of different ways because i'm sure that i'll be talking about it a ton but now we are going to move into a movie that is a lot more like the movie we saw this week which is ready or not by the way if you couldn't tell by the title (laughs) and i i guess you can call it a movie what do you call a movie that never comes out is it still a movie it's the whole tree falls in the forest kind of conundrum right it's like the last guardian if it was a movie yeah exactly um so the movie we're talking about here is the hunt which is an unreleased currently shelved universal pictures film there were several other studios that this film was pitched to and they actually passed on it because of its uh political natures and the fact that it would probably cause outcries and discomfort as a result which it did when universal showed this to test audiences a lot of them said that they were not comfortable with the political themes and and a lot of the plot and the the message that was kind of coming across because this film is based loosely on the most dangerous game and it follows 12 strangers who wake up in a clearing no idea where they are unsure of how they arrived only to find out that they are being hunted by a bunch of rich elites and in the trailer the rich people even say something like oh you know we basically run this country already we can do whatever we want or something like that so you can see how the political themes are very strong there (laughs) but those plans for the hunters go a little bit awry when crystal one of the hunted begins to fight back and kill the killers one by one again it was met with a significant amount of criticism by a number of news outlets and for a lot of different reasons for example rumor has it that one of the original working titles was red state versus blue state again very politically charged especially with the nature of the plot of the film however universal has denied that this was ever a working title so details are a little bit sketchy there we're not sure what is actually the truth additionally at one point a hunter references their prey if you want to call it that as deplorables which was a term that hillary clinton used in the 2016 presidential campaign to describe the supporters of her opponent donald trump Uh, trump himself actually has tweeted probably about this movie i'll get into that in a second he said 
The movie coming out is made in order to inflame and cause chaos. And while he didn't specifically reference which movie he was talking about, it's generally agreed that he was talking about The Hunt. Again, I think that Universal was initially trying to lean into the political side of this to some degree, but then on August 7th of this year, following the Dayton and El Paso shootings, the promotional campaign from The Hunt was pulled, like it just stopped, the trailer stopped being shown everywhere, I think they tried to pull as many posters as they could as well, and just a couple days later, the film was actually pulled from Universal's release schedule, like if you went to look their, at their release schedule after this, it was no longer there, and that was just a month and a half prior to its release. It was slated to come out on September 27th, and I really I really doubt we're going to see it, <laughs> which is interesting given that the studio spent about $19 million on the film and had pulled cast members such as Betty Gilpin to be the lead. Um, she's from the Netflix series Glow, Emma Roberts, Hilary Swank, Glenn Howerton, like not a hugely star-studded cast, but not an unknown cast either. And $19 million, while it's not a huge amount of money, in the film world still isn't insignificant especially with universal who is you know trying to compete with disney at the moment and if you're getting a film pulled that's that's rough no matter what so i'm interested to see what happens here but i can also understand why they chose to pull this i think the shootings were the final straw for sure i think going in universal wouldn't mind releasing a saucy film even if people hate it, they're going to watch it because they hate it or because they want to see what it's all about, this hate. And even if the reviews are bad, money is money. Then you you had these terrible shootings that happened in the country, and, and that's a line not even Universal wanted to cross, and for good reason. This movie tries to touch on, in some ways, similar themes to what Ready or Not did, just in a very different way, and also way more charged about 10 seconds into this trailer you know that it's already going to make a lot of political statements and, and some people just don't want that in their movies they get enough of that in the news they get enough of that in uh, on their twitter feeds their social media sites so it was just the perfect storm if you want to call it that that sort of prevented the release of this movie and it didn't even look too great 19 million like you said isn't a ton of money to a movie studio but it isn't chump change either and when you're not disney it's even more of your wallet so I, I will be curious to see if they reshoot some of this movie or if they just release it at a later date i doubt this movie is just never going to see the light of day at least in some form yeah i'm wondering if it <laughs> if it's going to be one of the relatively few big budget straight to dvd releases that we see nowadays i feel like there aren't quite as many of those anymore or at least none that have gotten the press that this has so i'm interested to see if that ends up happening and if that's the case i mean i'd i'd be interested to maybe do something with it on this show just to see what it looks like but that's one that we may have to screen a little bit first <laughs> yeah certainly screen it in advance and usually we end these trailer parts by saying and you can see this on this date but uh, we can't, so you might be able to see this at some point in your life, at some date. Yeah, we we may never know, but let's move away from the doom and gloom, and let's talk about a movie that did come out with a free presentation, which again, is Ready or Not, which will be coming up right after this. Whether you're ready or not. I'm so angry.
now it's time for the movie of the week, and one we both kind of enjoyed. Uh, a little spoiler alert there. This is our spoiler-free section. <laughs> this movie uh, was modestly budgeted at $6 million. A lot more spent on marketing. We'll get into that later. This movie was directed by Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette, which is notable because dual directors aren't very common outside of the Russo brothers, and these two also directed VHS, which was a moderately successful horror film that turned into a franchise in some way, and a lot of people will cite that as a movie they liked or didn't like on Netflix. It had very mixed opinions, uh, but they went together and co-directed this sort of dark comedy, ready or not, classified as a horror, but because it doesn't really have a specific name for its genre. The leads were Samra Weaving, who was cast as Grace, the main character, arguably. And then Adam Brody is Daniel. Mark O'Brien is Alex, Grace's fiancé and husband. Henry Zerny is Tony, the dad of Alex and Daniel. And Andy McDowell as Becky, and that was the mom. Overall, not a very well-known cast, but they did a pretty good job. And we might as well jump into the spoiler-free segment. And I'll just say this, the movie was pretty well-acted and well-paced, in my opinion. Yeah, I was impressed. I didn't realize the budget going in, and having found out that it was only $6 million, I am even more impressed with what they were able to to do with it. But yeah, I was... Uh, I was pretty delightfully surprised what i will say though is that we talked about this trailer several episodes ago and i think i said something to the effect of i'd call this not a horror movie but a gore movie there's just a lot of blood and viscera and all that just kind of for the sake of it it doesn't look like it's going to be a great movie it's not going to break any really new ground but if you're looking for that you know summer horror flick and there's always two or three of them and one or two come out on top if you're looking for that it's I think going to do a pretty good job. I mean, like, I don't think this is going to overtake it. If anybody remembers a horror movie from the summer, it's unfortunately going to be it, which is kind of a bummer because Ready or Not <laughs> did a lot better for me than I really expected it to. It really did. And in some ways it knew what it was going to be. It knew it was going to play off a lot of these tropes and, um, and, and, and embrace that. Something it did a little bit too much of was reveal scenes and jokes and almost important plot elements in the trailer. Yeah, there definitely was a lot of that. I felt the same thing. A lot of the humor and jokes that we saw in the trailer were some of the big beats or humor beats in the story. It did avoid a lot. The one thing that it did do, and it's... It's hard to determine whether or not this was a good thing. Is it gave away the basic premise of the movie, right? They could have gone two directions with this trailer. They could have made it seem like, oh, she's marrying into this weird family and it's kind of ominous and like they're rich, but they also have these like weird ticks and who knows what's going on there. But no, right away from the trailer, they're like, oh yeah, that's she married into this family and now they're playing hide and seek and they're trying to kill her. So you knew immediately going in basically what the plot of the movie was like. I understand that they needed that rising action in the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes or whatever, but they could have just 
in media res hard cut to her running down a hallway and if you wanted to do like real black comedy hard cut her running down the hallway it freeze frames and then again it's the voice over the classic like yep that's me but you're wondering how i got in this situation kind of thing <laughs> that said i was actually still a little bit surprised by the way that i was still surprised despite everything that they showed in the trailer there were plenty that they left out and i i don't know i mean it's it seems like it was a good trailer for what it was i'll get more into that in the spoiler section but despite everything it showed a lot but i feel like it showed exactly what it needed to to get you interested and to really hook you as a viewer it did i and i was also surprised i had this balance of feelings within me watching the movie where i was like well i kind of saw that in the trailer but also i didn't know fully where it was going there was a lot of characters that weren't in the trailer or at least a couple and you didn't know the greater context, although they even mentioned that this was part of a ritual at some point. And so it was like the perfect amount given out in the trailer. And the movie was also the perfect length, I, I would say. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Clucking in at just about 95 minutes. That's for what it was. Again, it's not breaking any new ground, really. It's your classic kind of culty horror. Like... I would put this almost in a similar genre to Cabin in the Woods, maybe kind of in that sort of dark mm-hmm. comedy horror thriller kind of thing. Because with both, you you knew what was going on in with Ready or Not. You were shown in the trailer and there's some off screen conversations where you understand what's going on. And in Cabin in the Woods, you're getting these hard cuts between the facility and what's actually going on at the house. So they're they're actually very similar. And Cabin in the Woods is a very special place in my heart. Again, I don't really like horror movies. And Cabin in the Woods is actually one of my favorite movies. So this did a really good job of doing that. And with that in mind, they didn't try to drag this out. There weren't really any scenes in there that didn't need to be in there, which I have a lot of appreciation for, especially with horror. I mean, this was certainly over the top. There was a lot of blood. There was a lot of gore, obviously. So spoiler alert for there and a little bit of a trigger warning. If you're adverse to that, there is a lot of blood and violence of varying types, you know, so that was a little bit more than they needed, maybe. But there weren't really any scenes that they didn't need. It was a fairly linear movie. There weren't too many twists and turns and the ones that were in there were kind of predictable. But again, with that in mind, it was... It, it was the perfect length uh, to some degree like end game even felt drawn out to me and this definitely didn't yeah it, it's 90 minutes used to be pretty standard for a movie nowadays it's actually kind of short but that's because a lot of movies interject a lot of filler and a lot of things that don't need to be there and this movie was pretty no nonsense it had a good balance of funny moments and there was tension not really jump scares they tried to set one or two up early on it's classified as a horror so they played into that but it's definitely a gore film it's not going to be that scary movie of the summer as you said earlier it has a lot of lore self-contained within the story about it's so it's it's its own little universe so even though it plays on a lot of different elements it sort of creates its own little world which i enjoyed Oh, for sure. And I mean, they allude within the film to the larger universe. But again, that said, if you're hoping for a franchise, I don't think this will be a franchise. And to be quite honest, I hope it doesn't become one because I think this is very, very good as a standalone movie and trying to delve. And and this is something that a lot of horror movies do, to be honest, and it irks me a little bit, is that 
Annabelle. Well, yeah, they uh, they delve too deeply into their own lore and they get into their own head and then things stop, either stop making sense or they have to make stuff so convoluted to make it make sense. And they did that very well here where it's like it wasn't perfect. But I mean, again, most culty horror movies definitely aren't. It's very loosely explained ritual, something sacrifice that uh, has to be done devil uh, done sure whatever and because again it's only 95 minutes and because it's kind of relatively speaking fast paced once you at least this film is once you get past that rising action you don't have too much time to really think about it and that again the pacing works very well in this movie because uh obviously grace who has been thrown into this game with no knowledge of exactly what it is sorry spoiler but i think that that's also fairly obvious from the trailer Mm -hmm. as her pace quickens so does the film and so does your pulse a little bit so like it's done all of that interweaves really well and i'm hoping that they don't try and make a some sort of series out of this because again they will just convolute all of this lore and it's it's not really worth it again like they need to go cabin in the woods route with it it's very very good on its own if they make another it's it could like kind of ruin what this first one is and that ended up happening with VHS. They made multiple movies, but it that was just a different franchise. This one feels like it will be a self-contained standalone, which is even more admirable in today's market, I think. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, another thing that lends to the idea that it probably won't be a franchise is that this movie doesn't have a post credit scene. And just so everyone's aware, I think we're going to start doing this in our spoiler-free section. We'll let you know whether or not there's a post credit scene, because I don't know how many times I've been sitting in a movie like for 10 minutes through the credits which again massive amount of praise to everybody that works on a film anyway like you should respect the credits and respect all the people that worked on it not just the director and actors but you know the editors the special effects artists the makeup artists everybody that had a hand in it but i know there are plenty of times where people are sitting through the credits not even watching the credits appreciating those people because they're on their phone trying to google whether or not it has a post credit <laughs> scene and all of the sites that tell you whether or not it does are well they're riddled with ads and and they're not very good and then they want to make you read seven paragraphs about how this film meant so much to them personally because when they were a kid they also had to go through this ritual where their family tried to kill them because <laughs> of x y and z and oh yeah by the way there's no post credit scene but that that was after like six paragraphs and you have to hit next page two times and you get an ad each time. So we're going to start doing this to make it a lot easier. No post credit scene <laughs> is is the real long short of what I'm trying to tell you. Do you have anything else to add before we jump into that more deep divey element of this review? Uh, the only other thing, again, I'd like to hit on the budget really quick is that $6 million, that's, that's kind of nothing, all things considered. And they did a really, really good job with it. I compared this to Midsummer a little bit because Midsummer cost four million more, which again, four million is looking at it as a person, four million is a lot of money as a movie studio. Four million isn't a ton of money. But I felt like they did a lot more with the budget here. Not to say, again, speak ill of Midsummer as a film or whatever, but there was a lot more that they had to kind of use the budget on here, I felt like. And even so with a smaller budget they they really made it feel like a big movie and i mean i get that horror movies like this tend to generally have smaller budgets but even so they did a fantastic job with what they were given yeah i actually did not know that number going in uh six million so i was also very shocked to see just just again the acting the casting was well done the set pieces were pretty fun there were some effects interplayed that weren't terrible 
Uh, we'll get into those in the spoiler section. But overall, it did use that budget pretty well. And it's kind of sad. There's only a couple showings at my local theater. Usually new movies open up with like eight or nine at least. And it's it's at four. So it doesn't seem like they were able to get this as a as this mega wide release. But that being said, it had a decent opening and uh, for its size. And I, I just hope people watch it because it is a good movie this summer. I'd agree. It's one of my probably top movies this summer. And again, speaking to the budget really quick, I find it there's like some sort of irony in the fact that the budget was $6 million and the family portrayed in this movie definitely had more than $6 million. So like, <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that that was kind of funny where it's like, oh yeah, they cost them less to make this movie than it that entire family that they're portraying probably had in their bank account. <laughs> Since we were talking about how much we enjoyed this film, let's just get into the critic reviews and then our own reviews. As far as critics and audiences go, this movie performed pretty well. On Rotten Tomatoes, it got an 88% from critics and an 81% from the audience. On Metacritic, it got a 63 from critics and a 7.0 from the audience. And on CinemaScore, it got a B plus, which, if you remember that industry talk segment we had, is pretty rare for a horror film or a gore yeah. film. Yeah, I was going to say, all of these scores are pretty rare for horror films i feel like generally they don't perform as well with critics or with audience and seeing that across the board it's performing you know fairly admirably it's it's i would say certainly at least better than middling if not you know a 10 which i never expected it to be so yeah i'm i'm pretty impressed and jacob what sort of score out of 10 would you give this film i gave this i i waffled between a 7 and an 8 and then i realized there's a reason why we have 0.5s i gave it a 7.5 <laughs> Yeah, I, I gave it the same, which is high praise. I've been fairly critical, I think, of all the films, which again, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do our uh, our quarterly look back where we have the opportunity to change some of our scores. We're also going to give out paper plate awards. We'll get more into that at the uh, at the end of the show. But I mean, even being critical, there wasn't a whole lot to dislike about this movie, provided that you went in knowing what it was and again not expecting to like i said break new ground or be hyper blown out of the water and it generally exceeded a lot of my expectations it was if nothing else it was a very very fun movie exactly and with that uh, if you haven't seen this movie pause this podcast right now go watch it before we get into this deep dive segment because we're going to be talking about important plot elements and things we liked and didn't like. Uh, so if you care about spoilers, pause this. We live in your phones, not in your homes, but on your devices. So we will still be here when you get back from your local theater. All right, Grant. So we've talked a lot about... We, we beat bought beaded we were hitting a bush around a bush in that oh, last wow. segment yeah so start us off tell us give give a spoiler take well i was i was surprised by the opening scene a little bit i was trying to dance around this when i was talking about the trailer and the cognizant choices that they made i was kind of 
surprised that the opening scene is the last ritual that they had, you know, 30 years prior where Daniel and Alex are running, you know, running down a hallway and all of a sudden the the aunt's fiance or I guess at that point husband comes running in and right after Daniel hides Alex and says, Daniel, don't don't tell anybody. Just just let me go. You don't have to do anything. And then, of course, Daniel yells and screams that he's in there and we watch this dude get shot with an arrow. And I was kind of shocked that that's what they opened with. But then again, I thought about it and realized, well, they've already showed us, they've already set up this premise very heavily in the trailer. So they have the liberty to do this. They can immediately just show this ritual. It's not showing the story that, you know, the story that we're going to mostly be following, but it helps to set up the world a lot. And because they made the cognizant choice in the trailer to show us as much as they did, they could very easily show us that. It doesn't shock us. It doesn't feel super jarring because we already know what we're going in for unless you just go watch movies without watching trailers, at which point it might be a little bit jarring. (laughs) But it also helped to set up some of the characters because, you know, Daniel, who is just a kid at the time, and who's being this guy's begging for his life from a child and Daniel still yells and uh and and brings everybody in there to end up killing him Alex ends up opening the door and you know being horrified because even if he didn't necessarily see anything he heard all of this and it was really interesting how all of that molded who they were and that altered the story that we mostly did see versus the one that we mostly didn't I was it was really cool. Again, the opening scenes are very important and they leveraged what they knew we would know very tactfully here. That's a very good point. And I almost realized just right now how important that opening scene was for a variety of reasons, including character development. The wife in the beginning of that was that crazy aunt and Mm -hmm. that changed her path. The one who was sheltered from that act, Alex, ended up being the one who turned and Mark, uh, sorry, Daniel, the one who ratted the guy out and got him killed, ended up being the one who flipped as well. So it's almost like this exposure to this event, watching this person die in in some way or get shot with an arrow. Daniel was an alcoholic and, and ended up being different from the family than the one who didn't get to see that ritual happen which was something that was interesting. And then also the two little boys, there was two other little boys later on in the film and and they had kind of, there was one of them who ended up shooting grace in the hand. (laughs) We'll get to that scene. I think at some point a a foil there as well. So it was just, it was a very meaningful opening scene for all the reasons you mentioned. And then just the sheer amount of character interplay that happened there. Yeah. And it's interesting because I felt like, in general, a lot of the characters were kind of caricatures, which doesn't usually work. But with this film, it definitely did. Again, the, the movie, and we keep saying this, it knew what it was. And because of that, it could leverage it and make most of the characters just kind of off the wall. Like <laughs> Emily, who's drug addicted, <laughs> uh, you know, just snorting some coke and then popping some pills. and But she also keeps messing everything up and she's so frustrated by it and you sort of feel for her, but you're also like, you're a drug addict trying to kill your your <laughs> your brother's fiance on the night of their wedding and and uh, <laughs> what's going on with you. And, yeah. and Charity, uh, Daniel's uh, wife, who she wasn't so much of a caricature, but, you know, it's that that classic trope of, well, you know, I got here now and I'm 
I, you know what my life was like before this and I'm never going back. And if one person has to die, then so be it kind of thing. And so it was interesting to see that Daniel and Alex were almost the straight men. And truly it was really just Daniel because Alex seemed like a very clear cut character from the beginning and then just turned to a different, very clear cut character. Didn't feel like he necessarily had a lot of depth. He was just two sides of one coin and he flipped from one side to the other. Daniel, on the other hand, I thought was much more interesting as a character and the Daniel Redemption arc was probably the best part of the whole movie as far as I'm concerned um, or at least the best plot point in the entire movie I have this on my show notes actually I think Daniel and Grace stole the show I think the actors portrayed both of them very well and again Daniel's character arc was very much an arc as you said Alex's was more of a character um character coin flip let's say. yeah character coin flip in, in some ways because he was cast as this you know savior character and then uh two heavy foreshadowing lines later you're like oh he's gonna be a bad guy by the end of this oh absolutely that's what ended up happening but i did very much like the way they they used daniel in this movie and his wife was interesting I don't know if this happened on purpose. And one of the themes in this movie was this class struggle in some ways, the battle of rich and poor marrying into a rich family, the anxieties of that. But to have his both wives that were prominently featured come from a bad background in some way, either poor or family problems and now marrying into this rich family. And you saw how she was willing to kill to stay in that and get away from that. So you wonder if that was to show uh, maybe the distance, maybe some claims on humanity of the very wealthy. I, I'm not sure how deep this movie was trying to make its point, but it was notable, at least I noted in the theater, that they had very heavy plays on people marrying into the family that came from backgrounds that weren't from money. I, I definitely noticed that too. And again, I'm not sure how deep this movie was meant to be, like you said. So it did hit on a lot of those themes of humanity and is humanity inherently good or evil and wanting to live within comfort and doing whatever you can to keep yourself within comfort and it was interesting it wasn't a super well explored set of themes i don't think and agreed again it's that's where some of the points get docked for me because it was a very interesting opportunity to do something like that but with that in mind again like i didn't go in expecting this to be that and i it's part of the problem with you know doing horror dark comedy movies where you know nobody expects that going in and so people when somebody has a certain expectation going in if they don't see that they generally end up a little bit let down and so they probably felt like they couldn't lean into that too much but even so i felt like they could have maybe explored those themes a little bit better than they did but i mean again it was at the end of the day just kind of a gore gory movie even though the gore wasn't quite as bad as i expected i was honestly just kind of imagining like i don't know how this works it's kind of an oxymoron but i imagined a funny saw movie <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's definitely gore and especially a lot of it at the end where the entire family's you know just exploding and all of their blood is ending up on grace although it was mostly i, I was surprised because it was i was kind of desensitized because there was a lot of blood but not a whole lot of viscera in this movie where again you think of saw or final destination or things like that where it's you know very blatant and kind of 
horrific and disgusting scenes and that's what those franchises are kind of known for and this didn't have a whole lot of that i mean there was honestly probably the worst of it was the one made that got crushed in the dumbwaiter and the rest of it was you know generally speaking pretty par for the course for even an action movie with again the exception of all of them exploding but that would have been much worse instead they just threw a bunch of bucket of buckets of blood on grace so i mean again not great but not nearly as bad as i expected and i would also say the mom getting her face smashed in at the end was a little brutal that's true but all in all it's not even the goriest movie we have reviewed um no (laughs) which is kind of shocking to say um and it could have been worse uh being its genre Uh, but that that was almost a good thing i think it didn't it used brutality almost when necessary or to reiterate a point i think one of the hardest scenes for me to watch was when she got her hand shot through the hole and she fell into the uh the little pit in the barn yeah the goat pit or whatever they called it the body pit basically yeah and and to have her climb through that and put her hand through the nail i mean anytime there's a nail in a horror movie you know where it's going in a quiet place the nail on the staircase uh it's a very telling plot element actually i don't know if that's coincidence or not um but that that one was kind of hard to watch just because of the personal like it felt very real in some ways but a, a good use of horror as a as a tool rather than just horror for or blood for the sake of blood I should say. Yeah. <laughs> In a small way, it was kind of fun to watch her just completely lay out that kid. Yeah, that was... <laughs> I've never been so satisfied by seeing a kid laid out on on the big screen. Um Yeah, that was uh that was a little ballsy, good. I will say. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting too like the commentary again that they started to hit on and then sort of moved away from was that humans will do kind of whatever they need to remain in comfort or even in grace's case to remain alive and again throughout the movie at at the beginning she doesn't kill anybody like she's running she looks like she's going to kill stevens the butler and then doesn't and ultimately just you know breaks a a a steaming cup of tea (laughs) over his head but doesn't kill him even though like she had the opportunity and even after she made him pass out although like to me it seemed very clear that she hadn't killed him by strangling him simply like knocked him out she doesn't run over him which would have been my a number one priority at that point in time if i was in her shoes so it's interesting that she doesn't really kill anybody by her own hand she doesn't kill charity even though she gets the gun and i mean she's going to but then she can't because the gun is again empty which by the way how many guns are they going to hand her that either don't work or are out of bullets because it was a lot uh (laughs) the only person really that she kills by her own hand that i can recall is the mother everybody else is you know not by her hand and it's either by accident or you know by their own doing or by the curse at the end so it was interesting the way that they were trying to almost make it seem like you know oh she's a good person because she doesn't kill anybody until she eventually does with alex's mother which again is sort of alex's turning moment which was somewhat obvious again but at the same time what they don't touch on as much is like yeah she's a good person because she didn't kill almost anybody but she would have and she tries to multiple times and so 
again, I don't know what the message was there, if there was meant to be one, but it didn't, it, it was very muddied. It was muddied, and I also wonder if they were trying to say humans also do what they're raised to do with the kids partaking in this game, even though they have no real idea as you know, they don't know that their wealth is on the line or anything like that. Um, you know, when he shot the girl, he's just like, yeah, I saw everyone else was doing it. So I did it too. So yeah. And, and Alex has a line when he's speaking to his mother at one point where he says something like, I mean, I guess that you'll just do whatever your family says it's okay to do, which, which was an interesting point, even if a bit, you know, blunt and obvious because the main one of the main characters was literally saying it out loud. <laughs> but that said, it, it that was an interesting uh, theme that they did really touch on and that they did explore fairly well. Since we've been giving this movie a lot of praise, I'll just talk about a couple of the logical gaps I usually bring up that irked me in some way. The most prominent being Stevens the butler had that Michael Myers speed on foot. Yeah, no kidding. Caught up to a car in mere seconds uh, on foot. And it wasn't like she wasn't, she was driving for quite a few seconds, quite fast. So that was one scene in the movie where I kind of rolled my eyes. I was like, really? Come on. A couple other little things. Grace not really taking the weapons or getting a lot of those faulty weapons. Not killing Stevens after she strangled him. Uh, And then also the first time that person was murdered. There's no way, A, they weren't seen over the bed or that she would have remained that quiet hearing a gunshot and also seeing a dead person right in front of her. So those were just a couple of, you know, horror elements that exist in almost every horror movie, uh, some kind of logical gap like that. But I almost felt like this movie was better than those. So they kind of stuck out. There wasn't a ton explicitly wrong with this movie, just a couple of little nitpicky elements right there. Yeah, and... For me in particular, I I didn't love the ending, and personally I'm having a hard time separating if I didn't love it just because I liked my personal headcanon a little bit more, and it's because like I've been a writer for years and years on end, and so like maybe I think I know best, and maybe that's part of the problem. But to me, like I don't know, it was almost boring and expected and convenient. Not necessarily that they would explode, I suppose, but that it's like oh, it's this mystical force and the curse is real and uh, it's daylight and boom, everyone's dead. What I thought would have been more interesting in my headcanon is, you know, they're all sitting there cowering like, oh no, it's dawn and we didn't kill her. And then they all stand up and go, oh, well, you know, we're all okay. Maybe this curse wasn't real after all, since one of the main plot points of the movie was people not being really sure whether or not the curse was real. Like Daniel kind of doubted it a little bit. Alex doubted it a little bit. Grace I had much reason to doubt it because she's like, you all are just insane. And so what in my head canon works is they're like, oh, I, I guess it wasn't real. And then she just starts slitting throats because for multiple reasons, one, these people have been trying to kill her all night over a curse that wasn't real. And she could have told them that, but also because the curse actually was real and it's her. She's like the embodiment of the curse where it's, I mean, obviously with a game like that, it can only go one of two ways, right? Either you kill your target or the target's going to kill you because there's no way that the sun comes up in the morning and both of you are fine. And they're like, oh, I mean, I was just I was just joking. Right. Like, we're all cool. Like, My you golly, know, what a mistake. Them. Yeah, exactly. So and I in my head, Ken, and again, she just like kills all of them, including Alex, especially because the one person who 
was truly her savior throughout the movie, Daniel, was killed protecting her. And then they still could have done the same thing where, you know, the house is already on fire because she had knocked over the the lantern. And so we still could have seen that flash of LaBelle kind of nodding at her as if to say, oh, no, like this was a real thing. The curse was real. And that was their comeuppance. Like, and it was also a poetic justice thing. And I'm a huge nerd for poetic justice. So I'm having a hard time separating if I didn't like the ending just because I thought my ending would have been better. So I don't really know. But I, I don't know. Again, it just felt boring and expected where it's like oh yeah they didn't make it they're gonna end in some horrible bloody mess because that's just how these movies end the way they had written it they had set up a number of equally likely endings it seemed her either getting stabbed i thought that's actually how it was going to cut out in my head was he was going to say hell satan stab her and then the movie was going to cut to black i thought that would have been a a nuts ending and usually i like those kind of maybe subverting expectations or those you know, antithetical to the good guy winning endings. But then after that didn't happen, it could have been either like your head canon, the curse wasn't real or she was the curse. That would have been a good one. The ending they chose probably wasn't the best path because it was a very fun and clever film. And the way it ended wasn't fully. It's hard to say if it was predictable or not because they had set up so many different outcomes in a matter of seconds based on the way everything transpired uh, with Alex turning and saying she's in here kind of thing. But yeah, the ending wasn't great. It was probably the weakest part of the movie. Very strong opening, strong middle, and then it's just been a summer of very bizarre third acts, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree. And speaking to bizarre third acts, the thing that the ending did do well is, again, it's a dark comedy film and much like the fight scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, pretty much everyone in my theater was laughing as people were exploding, which is, again, bizarre. It's literally you're watching humans explode into blood and guts onto <laughs> this bride in her wedding dress that's been almost killed. And she's laughing, too. Again, once like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he's laughing during the fight, she's laughing through all of this, too. So it was one of those rare instances where, you know, brutality was done comedically. And, and to that end, it was done well. It just didn't feel like the best ending that they could have chosen. Speaking of Midsummer, though, I just thought of this now. Blonde female girl laughing at brutalities from some kind of spurned lover at the end of the film. I don't know. I, I just realized there's a lot of uh, unintentional parallels between the two. Oh, yeah. There, there's a lot of that going around this summer, huh? I, I don't know. This was a fun movie. It it was kind of weird because I feel like I've seen this movie before. It's not exactly the same movie, but it's it's what I said when we watched the trailer too. Like a lot of those, I feel like I've seen some of these shots in other movies before. A bloodied bride in a in her wedding dress, you know, beating someone's face in and things like that. That said, it's not a bad movie and not uninspired. And unoriginal is the wrong word because of all of the ones that I've seen in a similar manner, this is actually the most fun. But it didn't, it's certainly not the first of its kind, and I can't imagine that it's going to be the last, especially if this does well. I agree. It teetered lines between unoriginal and unique, predictable and unexpected, over the top and grounded. It it tried to balance all these different things where it very clearly played into tropes. And, and for me, it falls into the same line of movies as Cabin in the Woods and Happy Death Day a movie that holds a special place in my heart because it it was this gore film 
that was just fun and it knew what it was and it was you know not not the zoinks that i wanted from it but it did give some scares so overall it's in that genre of horror but not quite movies that that are just fun that hold a place for a number of reasons some commentary or or whatever that being said it's it's not groundbreaking by any means no and and speaking to like teetering and not blurring lines necessarily i can't decide if i like the very very end like post family exploding kind of thing where she's sitting out in front of the house on fire smoking a cigarette when the first responder comes up to her and says ma'am are you okay what happened and she just goes in-laws it (laughs) it felt like a 90 minute setup to a five second punchline which like don't get me wrong it was funny and it was probably about one of the best things that she could have said in that situation but it was one of those things where i was like i'm not quite sure how to feel about that being you know like the very end of the movie yeah, I saw that. I chuckled. I was like, that's the end of the... It, it was... It felt not strange. It it was kind of like that. This movie was written for that punchline. Truly, though, all things considered, I thought it was a lot of fun. There are definitely flaws that are there, but none are super glaring, all things considered, especially if you know what you're walking into and if you're willing to accept the movie for what it is a low budget horror black comedy suspense thing and it's definitely worth your time and your money and like i said i think it's currently my movie of the summer i loved it a lot more than i expected to it's it's up there for me too it's not the horror film i've been looking for something that truly just gets to me I Not that I expected it to be that, though, because going into the trailers, you could see it wasn't going to be terribly scary. That being said, it, it was a fun movie. It felt like probably the most authentic of the summer. We've watched a lot of weird movies for this podcast, uh, but this one felt the most true to itself. It wasn't weird just to be weird. It was weird because weird people made it and it worked, kind of like Thor Ragnarok in, in that sense, where it's just it, it had its identity and had fun with it. So I, I don't know if it's my movie of the summer quite yet, but it's it's certainly in, in the top two, if, if not number one right now. I was not disappointed. Me either. And Jacob, if anybody wants to get in touch with you and let you know how Grace actually made all of the right decisions, those weren't logical gaps. They were very calculated decisions on her part to help her survive. How can they get in touch with you? If you want to say how wrong I was, or even say maybe I was right about one or two things, that's also pretty nice to do. You can reach me on Twitter at PWGJacob, the letters P-W-G-J-A-C-O-B. You can DM me, or if you're very bold, just mention me in a tweet. I will get back to you, and I'd love to hear what you have to say. And if you want to contact me specifically, you can do so on Twitter at PWGGrant, that is P-W-G-G-R-A-N-T. If you want to reach the podcast, us at large, you can email us at 35millimeterpod at gmail.com. That is 35mmpod at gmail.com. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, if you want to tell us how wrong we collectively are about movies, please feel free to (laughs) drop us a line. We're also interested to hear your thoughts on where you want to know about post-credit scenes. We're interested to hear your thoughts on dropping industry talk and making it its own episode. So please let the feedback roll in. Let it consume you. <laughs> but I think that's it for this week, Jacob. Thanks for a great show. And for everybody that worked on this movie, thanks for a great and really fun movie, honestly. 
35mm Perspective is a Players with Game production. All opinions within the podcast are our own. Michael Campos is our composer. All rights reserved. Thank you.